Welcome to Garfield Memorial Church. We are one church in three locations, Pepper Pike, Ohio, South Euclid, Ohio, and Liberia, Africa. Together, we seek to widen the circle through our core values of diversity, safety, authenticity, growth, and forgiveness. To learn more about Garfield Memorial Church, visit our website at garfieldchurch.org. And now, may you be blessed and inspired by our weekly podcast of the message from the 10 a.m. Sunday morning Mosaic worship service. Garfield Memorial Church, widening the circle. been talking about uh, not just putting on pajamas, it's Pajama Sunday, but putting on spiritual PPE, personal protective equipment. We see that in today's day and age, not just in hospitals, but in our own lives, all of us taking precautions, not just to keep ourselves safe. That's not what it's about. That's self-centeredness. To keep others safe, that's loving our neighbors. And so we've been talking about that. Paul does in his letter to the Ephesians. Paul's letter to the Ephesians is a little different than his other letters. Many of his letters are written for a particular context or a particular situation. But in Ephesians, Paul gives us what I call a blueprint for the Christian life. He basically gives us an architectural drawing on what it means to be a follower of Christ, that the power of God has come into the world through Jesus Christ. And what does he say after he tells us that in chapter 3 of Ephesians? Now unto him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly more than you could ask or imagine, according to what? His power at work where? In us and in his church. That's what he says. And since his power is at work in us and in God's church, he says this is how we should live out our lives. This is how we should become Christ's church, which Christ's church wasn't passive. It was, it was something that uh, one scholar called it the beachhead of God's activity in the world. Any of you seen Saving Private Ryan? I can't keep up with Pastor Steve. I think he quoted like 17 movies last week. But I'll quote one. Saving Private Ryan, you remember D-Day when they hit the beach? That's what the Bible says that the church is. Jesus says, I'm going to build my church, and it'll be a wrecking crew to tear down the gates of hell. And so at the end of Ephesians, as Paul tells us, we're to be this this beachhead, this uh, life-giving movement into the world, he says, finally, chapter 6, this is what we've been talking about. And if you were with us at the beginning of the series, this wasn't P.S. This wasn't sincerely your friend Paul. This was everything I've told you. Finally, you better get this. Put on the whole armor of God. It was a metaphor in Paul's day and age. It's a metaphor for uh, Roman soldiers and, 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 and what they did. And, but Paul's reminding us that when we come to Christ... If you're coming to Christ for enlightenment, if you're coming to Jesus so I could have a tranquil life, if you're coming to Jesus to live at the beach, Paul says you're coming in the wrong place because I'm not calling you to put on pajamas. I'm calling you to put on armor because you're going to be out there in a fight. You're going to be out there in a battle. You're going to be building a whole new kingdom. And as Steve said last week, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, meaning they're not tomahawk missiles. They're not F-14. You know what our weapons are? Faith and hope and forgiveness and grace 
and love, and you go out into a fallen world with those, you better have on some spiritual PPE. So today we're looking at the last article of the various things that Paul talks about, and it's the helmet of salvation. I like that because if you've ever seen a Roman soldier in the movies, what do they do? They put on the belt of truth. We talked about that. That was the foundation of God's word, what we know about God. You attach the breastplate of righteousness to that. You put your sword in the sheath, right? You grab your shield for when you need it. You put your shoes on, all the things we preached about. You go out to the front lines, and when the battle's ready to happen, what do you do? You put on that helmet. Okay, Father's Day. When you say, you don't see people walking around, you know, in church in helmets very much. They used to do it in kind of hats and still do that in some particular places. But, but where do we see helmets, dads? Right? When I say, put on your helmet, what does that take you to? You know, Brown Stadium, right? The dog pound. That's where we know helmets. Put on your helmet, right? And even football players, they gear up once the last thing they put on, their helmet. It was very interesting this week. I went to a website, Pastor Terry had shared it with me, and it was from Shoot Sports, S-C-H-U-T-T, Shoot Sports. They actually are one of the largest, if not the largest, supplier for helmets to the National Football League. And if you've ever gone to websites and they have like a, a little key, you got, you know, you got check here that I am 18 to go into the website or that I've read the terms and conditions... I went to shoot website and look at this. The, the largest supplier of helmets in the NFL, this is what they have at the opening. It says, warning, no helmet system can protect you from serious brain and or neck injuries, including paralysis or death. To avoid these risks, do not engage in the sport of football. I thought that was amazing. From the supplier to the NFL. It reminded me of Steve Jobs, the Apple founder, when he talked about being a transformational, innovative, disruptive leader. He says, all y'all say you want to be in leadership, but what you really want to do is be liked. And he said, if you want to get the approval of everybody, don't be a leader. Go sell ice cream. And that's what Paul is saying. Hey, if you want to be a follower of Jesus and, and, and not go through some struggles, go sell ice cream. Right? Because we need to put on our spiritual PPE. So the helmet of salvation, we think about what does a helmet protect? Protects our brains. That's what helmets are in football, right? They have the issue with concussions, one I know well, having many having played college sports. But the helmet is to protect our brains. And it's very interesting to me that at the beginning we have to put on that belt, the belt of everything we know about God. And at the end we need to put on something to protect our thoughts. My grandma used to say to us when we were little, mind your thoughts. You ever heard that, mind your manners? But my grandma said, mind your thoughts. And she was very smart because you think about things like lust or greed or, uh, um, you know, coveting or desiring things to the point of stealing them. It always starts in your mind, doesn't it? It's thinking about it. What if I had that? What if I did this? And if it gets in our mind and it works its way down into our hearts, then it's poisonous. And so we got to mind our thoughts. Paul talks about that a lot. Some people say Christianity is not thinking religion. That's ridiculous. Paul is always thinking. He's considering. I shared this verse at the beginning of this series where Paul says, I consider. Some old translations say, I reckon that sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed to us. I used to hear that verse and get upset. But in this series, 
You know, I've learned myself that word, consider reckoning. What is Paul doing? He's thinking, he's considering. Look what those words in the Greek mean. To consider, to reckon means to view, to count, to examine, to pry, to question, to think about, to investigate, to meditate, to speculate, to cogitate, to contemplate. Paul says, mind your thoughts. What are you reckoning? What are you considering? And Paul said, before you go into battle, gird it up with the the belt of truth and what you know about God, the breastplate of righteousness, the shoes of peace, the sword of the spirit, the shield of faith. He said, you better put on that helmet of salvation and think about your salvation. Wow. Going out into the world, think about your salvation. Now, when we think about our salvation, we better start thinking about salvation because we throw that word around a lot in the church, but I don't know if we put on the helmet I don't know if we dig down deep, if we do what Paul says to meditate and cogitate and reflect and to pry and to ask. Because have you ever heard people, and there's nothing wrong with this, but really flippant, you know, kind of, uh, oh yeah, I'm saved. Okay, you're saved. Oh yeah, I'm saved. And then mean, (laughs) judgmental, bigoted, racist, sexist, homophobic, judgmental, not nice to be around, no joy in them, pouting all the time, wake up every morning looking like they've squeezed uh, onions in, their, in the back of their throats. Come on, I'm not trying to be judgmental, but you've seen it. Some people say to me, where in the Bible does it say when you accept Christ, it makes you mean? You know why? Because we don't understand the helmet of salvation. We don't understand what it means to be saved. We think, okay, I got baptized, I was saved, and we left our helmet by the baptismal pool. Or we went into a membership class and we joined a church and they said, oh, yeah, I believe in Jesus, I confess him as Savior, and we went home and left the helmets of salvation right next to our membership books. Because you ever notice that word? We got to talk about that word, uh, salvation. What it literally means is to be delivered from danger. One Greek scholar says it means to be pulled back from the edge of a cliff. That we've been rescued. Do you understand how different Christianity is, what Jesus' gospel is, than all the religions of the world? Moses says, here's the law, follow it. Buddha and Muhammad say, here are some instructions uh, to attain enlightenment or the five pillars. Jesus comes up and says, no, I didn't come to teach you. I came to rescue you. I came to pull you back from the edge of the cliff. And do you ever notice when we talk about salvation and we talk about being saved or I was saved or when did you get saved, do you notice we always talk about in the past tense? Do you hear that? And I want to I talk to you today about what I'm calling the three tenses of salvation. The three tenses. That there's a past tense, that there's a present tense, and that there's a future tense. Uh, not just simply talking about salvation in the past, but talking about it in the present, talking about it in the future, okay? So, so I, wanna, I wanna share today, um, what are we saved from, right? There's a condition we're saved from, and the condition is sin. Now, sin has a public relations problem in today's day and age. Modern people don't like to talk about sin, okay? But the truth is, we can't understand salvation in the fullest, the breadth of it, if we don't know what we're being saved from. And we're being saved from the condition of sin. You say, okay, uh, what is sin? Okay, I'll give you, 
the best definition, a little short one, because I know uh, your attention span is short. You're thinking of what you're going to barbecue today, so am I. Here's the best one on sin. Sin, Paul Tillich, a great theologian, said, sin equals separation. Sin, what do I mean by that? Separation from God, right? Separation from God. It's like every time we are separated from God, we begin to deteriorate. We begin to disintegrate. Think of the sun, right? The sun and the creation. If there were no sun, everything would disintegrate. Everything would deteriorate. And, and that is what sin means. It means separating ourselves, trying to live a life independent from God. And whenever we do that, whenever we separate, that was the story of the Garden of Eden, when we separate ourselves from God, things begin to unwind. Things begin to deteriorate physically, psychologically, socially, right? And so, so when, here's what I want to say to you. When you decide to live your life independent, you are separating yourselves from him. And, and Luke 15 is a great uh, chapter for that because it, it gives us illustrations of what sin looks like. When something gets separated, it's lost, it, it, it's in need. That's why the one lost sheep, right? Separated from what? The fold. The one lost coin separated from the family treasury. And you know the parable of the prodigal son. The son separated from the love of the father. Now let's dig down on that story real quick because it gives the image of what sin looks like. Here you had two sons living actually in their own wealth. They, they, by law, they were legally entitled to a percentage of the net worth of the family. And when the prodigal son went to the father and said, hey, give me what is owed to me, he wasn't breaking the law. But what he was doing was breaking the father's heart because he says, look, I want what's owed to me, but I don't want you. I want my, this wealth in my life, but I want independent from you. And every time we do that, things begin to break down. Do you know everything wrong with the world can be traced back to sin, from measles to racism, from guilty feelings to war and poverty. It breaks down to separation from God. So salvation is God bringing us back into a right relationship. And as I said, we always talk about sin in the path, right? In the past. But sin has three tenses. It has the, the past, the present, and the future. What do I mean by that? What I mean is, listen, if we always talk about sin in the past, what do you do with some of these passages? What do you do with Philippians, where Paul says in Philippians 2, that we are to work out our own salvation? He says what? Therefore, my beloved... Who's he talking to? Who's the beloved? Believers. Brothers and sisters in the church. Not, not people he's trying to convert. He says, look, if you believe in Christ, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you. Present tense. And how about Corinthians? Where he says to the Corinthians church that, that, the, that the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But watch this. But to those of us who are being saved. Huh? I thought we were saved. What's this being saved in the power of God? And if that's not bad enough, you read Romans, he begins to talk about salvation in the future tense. He says in Romans 5 that, that, you know, if we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, how much more surely will we be saved? Do you hear that? Some of you are going, wait a minute, this is blowing my mind. I thought I was saved. What's this? I will be saved, right? 
by his life. And, and later on in Romans, the next verse, he says, you know what time it is. How is now the moment for you to wake from sleep for salvation is nearer to us now than when we became believers. See, I want you to know what you're putting on with the helmet of salvation. I'm going to give you the three tenses, past, present, and future of salvation, and how we're delivered from sin. First, past tense, the salvation means that we are saved from the penalty of sin. Okay, the penalty of sin. Then you say, what's the penalty of sin? Well, look at it this way. Let's say uh, uh, we're in a corporation and we create some heinous deed against the environment, something terrible, an oil spill, whatever. The EPA is going to come in, right? And say, look, you owe $22 million. That is your fine. And once we pay that fine, there's a fine to be paid. The company in some ways is out from under the law. Here's the problem. We just didn't pollute the environment. We ruined creation. That's what the Bible says. And, and so we owe like a $2 trillion fine, but our net worth is like five bucks. So Jesus steps in and pays the penalty for us. He, he underwrites the writ. He takes away the tax lane. We are free now from the penalty of sin, not because of what we did, but because of what he did. And that has saved us. So we're right to say, I was saved. What does Paul say in Romans? There is now, therefore, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We are out from under the penalty of sin. And we have to understand that. That is a foundational aspect of our lives. We weren't better instructed. Jesus didn't come to grade a test. He didn't come to be our example. He came to save us from what we deserve. He lived the life we were supposed to live, and he died the death that we deserved to deliver us from the penalty of sin. And the sting of sin, the wages of sin is death. And to free us from that itself. So know this, you are saved. When we believe in Jesus Christ, he says his last word on the cross is a, is a form of that word Greek, in Greek teleosi, it is finished. Literally that means debt is paid. And in that day and age when a debt was paid, they would stamp that word in Greek on the bill. So we're saved. We've been delivered from the penalty of sin. That ought to lead you to rejoicing. And that's why Psalm 9 and Psalm 13 and Psalm 20 say, my heart rejoices in my salvation. But we don't stop there. There's a present tense that Paul's talking about, that we're being delivered from sin. And then salvation in the past delivers us from the penalty of sin. Watch this. Salvation in the presence delivered us from the power of sin. See, the penalty may be gone, but sin is still with us, right? If you don't believe that, turn on your television set. And so temptations and trials and all these things are coming into our lives and attitudes and reactions. And and our job is to put on the helmet of salvation to think about what Jesus did for me yesterday that can give me strength to face this today. And that's why we invite the Holy Spirit and say, say, you know, we, what did Paul say? We don't even know how to pray as we ought to when we're up against sin. But the Holy Spirit intercedes for us with sighs too deep for words and prays the prayer for us because we are working out our salvation in fear and trembling and facing the power of sin. And we're working in the presence. This is what people forget. Oh, I was saved. Okay, so what? So now live out that salvation. Live it out in the presence, right? 
Because, okay, let me go back to that, that business illustration, right? The company uh, pollute, you know, has the oil spill, and they polluted the, the, the environment, and they paid their $22 million, right? So they're free, but the world's still polluted, right? So somebody's got to take that $22 million and clean up the pollution. So hear me say, there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus, but there's still a lot of pollution. We are polluted. You think I like to say that? No. You don't believe me? How come we have so little self-control? How come we open our mouths sometimes and say the last thing that we'll ever regret? How come we're so easy to be angered or offended? Because we're polluted, right? The house was on fire, and the fire got put out. But you still got to clean up, and you still got to rebuild the house. And that's what Paul says that we're being saved. We've been delivered from the penalty of sin, but now we're working out with our spiritual PP, putting on the whole armor of God that we might set out against the power of sin in our lives. But that's not the end of it. Let me take the last third of this sermon with this. This is something I think Paul is really getting at at the end of Ephesians, that there's a future tense of salvation. So in the past, we're saved from the penalty of sin, In the present, we're working to be saved from the power of sin. But watch this. In the future, there is a future time where we will be saved from the presence of sin. Where sin will no longer even be with us, right? And that gives me a living hope. That as I'm wrestling against not just flesh and blood, as this says, and I'm striving against, against, you know, evil powers in high places, things that have have claim over me, spiritual forces of wickedness. And I'm seeking in the present to ask the Holy Spirit's help and, and dressing myself up to face the power of sin. I know that there is a place. There is a kingdom that's being born. There is a beachhead of activity that the church is supposed to be a hint of. And that's why it's so important that the church look like and act like and live like the kingdom that is coming. And not wait till we get there to start to behave that way. We are living it out in the present because we believe that there is a future tense. There is a real tense. There is a real place for us. And we know, I don't know about some of you, my wife and I have been talking a lot. It's like, you know, COVID-19 and diseases and pestilence, racism running rampant, you know, countries fall. We're like, you think these are the last days? Like, maybe, you know, once in a while you go out at night and see, is the moon red? What's going on? We should always be living like the last days. Because let me say this to you, there is a kingdom coming and one day it will fall through the ceiling into our reality through the ceilings of of space and time. And we need to live in that, that belief in that coming kingdom. Now, warning, warning. Karl Marx said, hey, you know, if you're so heavenly bound, you may be no earthly good. And he was dead right. He said, he said that religion could be used like a drug and it has been. Preachers preach in America on manifest destiny. We are destined to rule the land, and they committed genocide against Native Americans. Preachers preach in slavery and said, oh, don't be worried about slavery, because in heaven, you know, you'll be okay. And that is a manipulation of the gospel. And it is, as Pastor Steve said last week, a testimony that Satan knows the words of Scripture as well as anyone. But that's not the reality, and Marx was right, when we preach heaven that way, oh, just wait someday and be passive in the current present, Paul will have none of that. 
That's not what he's saying. Look at Paul, believing in that future glory, trusting in it and working and and doing everything he can to share the gospel and leaving comfort and leaving his job and being, you know, stoned and and, and thrown out of, of membership clubs and shipwrecked. Why? Because he was living with that power of the future and letting it empower him in the present. There's something we've got to reconcile. Every historical testimony even from non-believing people, just Jewish historians and Roman historians and Greek historians that were not trying to proclaim the gospel. They tell us that in that early church, that under the persecutions, those early Christians were going to the lions, singing, singing, being killed with songs of joy and praise on their lips. Why? Because they knew they had been saved. They knew that God was with them. They were being saved. But thank God Almighty, they knew that they were going to be completely saved as the future came. And let me share this from Thessalonians. One other place, Paul talks about the helmet. And he says, put on the armor. Watch what he says. Put on the helmet, the hope of salvation. See, hope, Hebrews says it this way. We have this hope, a sure and present anchor of the soul. We have a living hope, not something that makes us passive. You know, do you ever know the real heavenly-minded people, the most hope-filled people like Mother Teresa? People like that are about the only people that are willing to sacrifice personal preference to help God's kingdom come into the world. If you are hopeful, if you have on the helmet of salvation, if you are thinking about the perfect salvation where one day God won't just take away the penalty of the power of sin, but take away the presence of sin where death will be no more and mourning will be no more and measles will be no more and racism will be no more and poverty will be no more and all will be equal at the foot of the cross. All ground is level and we will praise him night and day. If you're that heavenly bound, you should be the most productive kingdom building person on this earth right here and right now and so put on that hel- that helmet of hope because Paul says in Romans yeah we have suffering yeah we've got hard times it, but it produces endurance and endurance produces character and watch this character produces hope and hope does not disappoint and as we wrap this up I was thinking about you know those early Christians at that active hope in their lives And I remember Bishop Tutu at South Africa during apartheid and fighting that terrible apartheid. And, you know, Tutu and Mandela and Biko and and Bosak and all of those great saints and believers were fighting back against that evil system. And Bishop Tutu was being interviewed, I think, on the BBC. And he was just sharing his belief that apartheid would go away and South Africa would be a new place of, of restoration and redemption. And the, and the interviewer, I'll never forget, said, well, you sound pretty optimistic. It doesn't look that way. And I love what Bishop Tutu said. He said, I'm not an optimist. He said, I'm a prisoner of hope. And I believe in the coming kingdom of God. When I was thinking about that, I remembered a story. This was back from the early 90s. I don't know if you remember it. Do you remember the Bosnian conflict? Do you remember that terrible acts of genocide in the early 90s? Do you remember the city of Sarajevo stuck right in the middle of that? Bombings and snipers and, and, and horrible things, hell unleashed in Sarajevo. But there was somebody that put on the helmet of salvation. Do you remember who he was? He was called the cellist of Sarajevo. His name was Vedran Smelovic. 
Vedran Smailovic was the number one cello player in the Sarajevo Orchestra. And that town was so ravaged that one day people were starving in the middle of this warring conflict, this insanity of brother against brother and genocide. And one day there were 22 people standing in a bread line. A bomb came in and killed them all. And you know what Vedran Smailovic did? He put on his spiritual PPE. He put on his tuxedo that he played in the Sarajevo Orchestra. He grabbed his cello and his bow, and he went out and he sat in the crater where the people were bombed. And for 22 days, in honor of each victim, he played sounds of glory and majesty, music orchestrated in that moment. And, and they interviewed him and said, are you crazy? Snipers have you right in their view. He said, who is crazy? Me for lifting music or them for making war? He had on the helmet of salvation. See, joining with a greater orchestra, joining with that great cloud of witnesses we're talking about, saying, and this is not all there is, that the worst things will never be the last things, because I have the hope of the future of salvation. So I want to say to you today, I want you to leave with that sense of knowing, have you been saved? Have you asked, surrendered your life to Jesus and say, God, I'm tired of being separated? I'm tired of trying to manage my own life. I've been trying to be my own father, my own savior, my own Lord. And if you're honest, Lord, I'm exhausted. Hear him say, come unto me when you're exhausted, when you're weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest, and you will be saved. Penalty of sin, gone. $22 trillion over, right? The minute we say yes to God, we're adopted as part of his family. But know then that 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 work has just begun. You need to put on all we've been preaching about, your spiritual PPE, and you need to jump in and, and ask for the Holy Spirit's help and work on rebuilding the house that was burnt down and address the power of sin in our lives and allow God's present salvation to come to you. And then when you have all that in front of you, you can put on the helmet of the hope of the day where even the presence of sin will be gone. And we can join in that heavenly choir. You know, the old church used to say that. They used to say, I, I want to get somewhere beyond this stuff. And they say, I'm pressing on the upward way, new heights I'm skiing every day, still praying as I'm upward bound. Lord, plant my feet on higher ground. My heart has no desire to stay where doubts assail and fears dismay, though some may dwell where those abound. My hope, my aim is higher ground. I want to live above the world, though Satan's darts at me are hurled. For on my ear there is a sound, the sounds of songs of joy from saints on higher ground. That's what Vedran Smailovic was joining. That's the music he was playing. What are you building? Dads, what generations are you raising? Are we going to have more bomb craters? Or are we going to create more musicians and architects of the holy kingdom of God? Let's put on the helmet of salvation. Contemplate it. Keep it close to your mind. And let's go out and live it with the promise of the hope that is to come. In Jesus' name we ask it.
Amen.